Hello and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast devoted to helping you think through your family and children's ministry for parents, for pastors, those working with kids, about how a a working knowledge of what the Bible teaches informs what you teach and how you teach it. And so I am Ben Palaz, I'm the family and children's pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and as always, I'm joined by Anthony Tresoni, the family pastor at Westminster Baptist Church in Westminster, Maryland. Going by Anthony today, okay, all right. Sure, why not? Tony, you know, there are five distinct types of boredom that researchers have uncovered. Now, it might get a little tedious if we got into all that, you know, but boredom can be dangerous. It might be boring if we get into all that. Well, it might be. I was just trying to use some variety in adjectives. But there was this this young man uh, in a town on the Aegean coast, and he came to church, and he was listening to the preacher that day, and the preacher was going on and on. And the preacher is a pretty distinguished theologian, you know, big reputation, but it wasn't enough to keep this guy awake. And so he ended up um, falling. He, he fell asleep, and he fell, and he died. Uh, the good news is that this preacher-theologian guy was able to bring him back to life, and then he went and talked some more. Now that, of course, comes from Acts chapter 20 with this guy Eutychus. He falls out of a window. Paul uh, preaches. Paul goes down there and raises him from the dead and then goes back to teaching some more before he leaves. Um, But you know, theology in the Bible can be boring for sure, but so can anything else. I knew a guy that fell asleep during this presentation we had at our Christian school. Um, It was this a lady who was an OBGYN, and she showed us all these pictures of people who were afflicted with terrible sexually transmitted diseases. And so the pictures were horrifying, uh, but this guy managed to fall asleep during that. I, I don't know how. I mean, not that it was like an exciting thing, but it was, you know, got your attention. But he managed. Now, some think that teaching kids theology is just going to be over their heads, and it's going to bore them to tears. And then they won't be interested in Jesus or the church down the road, and then they'll get into all kind of stuff. Um, so today, we want to talk about that. Will teaching kids theology bore them to tears? So with that, Tony, I want to ask you, how many angels can dance on the head of a pen? 48.26. So have you guys been able to successfully measure that? or? Of course we were, yeah. No, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that's a, such an interesting question. And that actually is a real theological debate that happened in medieval history. But, you know, it's one that I think is, to give some context from my nerdy self, you know, the answer to that was never a question of whether was it seven, was it nine, was it 47 that could dance on it. Generally, the question was, uh, can one angel or can an uh, infinite number of angels dance on the head of a pen? And so it was really a question about the nature of angels, but nonetheless, it's still a ridiculous <laughs> dispute that had really nothing to do with the Bible. Uh, so this is a pretty big deal in church history, but some think theology like this is pretty boring because some theology like this exact example is clearly boring. Um <laughs> You know, and I think in that, there are theology books that can be really dry. I can think of even not long ago that there was a major movement within uh, kind of a similar wing of evangelicalism as us, where that hosted a conference just about the doctrine of cessationism, which is the idea that the spiritual gifts have ceased. They had a whole conference, multiple day conference, just about that specific topic. Mm. It's a little boring. Yeah, I guess unless you're really zealous for that cause, but 
Yeah, and I've heard a, a pastor one time commenting on uh, an author, New Testament uh, scholar from kind of a generation ago, F.F. Bruce, and he said he always thought that his writing was unnecessarily dry. And then he heard, read somewhere that the author said, I don't often like to talk in public about the things that matter to me most. He th you know, he thought that was a problem. That This guy could have brought more passion into his, uh, his writing. I mean, if he's writing about Jesus himself. Yeah. But, so, I mean, isn't theology just for seminarians and theologians and pastors? I mean, isn't just that kind of the ivory tower for the professionals? I think it definitely is just for theologians, but everyone is a theologian, as many have, I think, rightfully said, that to be a theologian is to merely have an opinion, really, on the nature of God. Theology is just is just the study of God, and so everyone, whether they want to say it or not, is a theologian. A, a person that has no involvement in religion, Richard Dawkins is a theologian, for example, in one way or another. So, yes, I think all of us have to make a stance on that. All of us are in some way a theologian. And it is important that it be relevant to all of us. A couple of years ago, I remember, uh, I saw a clip of a, a famous megachurch pastor, and I'm not going to say who he was. He had respond, was responding to an increasing desire for some theological depth in his church, and he uh, that uh, through some surveys. And his response to that was he joked that he was going to send a church some great theologian to shove theology, study of God, down their throat. That should trouble us, you know? But theology... Theology is deeply important, and I think this mentality of juxtaposing theology to Bible study is especially so relevant today. We don't like the term theology. My wife got an email not long ago where it was mentioned really in a juxtaposing way, theology versus Bible study. A person had said, you know, I'm not interested in theology. I'm just interested in studying the Bible. Well, what do you think that is? Really, though, we get to know Theology is important. We all get to know who we love, and loving God means that we get to know who he is. We study theology as a way of loving our God and getting to know him better. So in a sense, my wife, Danielle, that I'm a Danielleologist, I guess, because <laughs> I study Danielle because I love her. And so in that same way, we should study God and be theologians because we love God. No, that's a good way of putting it, because um, it is... It, it does have to do with what we love, and the, there's a, a song out there about how theology leads to doxology, to praising God, uh, or at least it should. And, I mean, our theology is just saying overall, this is what we believe the Bible teaches about God, about sin, about humanity, all kind of things. And so, I mean, it gives explanation to our lives. that There, there is a, a unified, compelling um logical, but supernatural too, explanation of the world, and if we give that to kids, you know, obviously in, in bite-sized chunks early on, but in a way that's um, compelling to them, they can see as they grow older, uh, it's got the potential to carry them, you know, through adolescence into adulthood with a faith that will stand up against the competing ideas that the world's going to have to challenge them with. Isn't theology too complex for kids? So, I mean, you've established that it's not just something that the professionals do, but is it too complex for them to understand and, you know, just make their eyes kind of glaze over? 
frankly, I think some is. Uh, you know, there's kind of a debate among those who have a particular view on uh, on God's uh, election, on God's predestining people. And there's a debate within those who believe in that called infralapsarianism versus supralapsarianism. <laughs> and I don't think that a lesson on infra versus supralapsarianism would be a great for a kid's lesson. We've talked about some things, you know. We don't think that a 100-week uh, study of Galatians would be fantastic for a kid's message. But I also don't think that a special kid's message to talk about infralapsarianism versus supralapsarianism is particularly helpful. Do you? No, I, I don't think that would be very edifying. Um, no. Yeah. But if we don't teach them theology, the reality is they still will develop theology, like I kind of mentioned earlier. And what we'll do is they'll just appropriate the theology of the culture around them. The theology of self, especially. The understanding of who we are rather than a biblical theologic theology of who we are. But we do need to teach it. We teach it in a simplified way. Uh, one way that Christians have done that for nearly 500 years has been through what's called catechism, which is basically just means doctrinal teaching. And it may help in that way, kind of these repetitive ways that catechisms teach theology. And it may help us uh, in this to have theological humility as we simplify these doctrines. You know, we don't present infralapsarianism to kid. We don't present uh, theological treaties. We're not going to give a child a 2,000-page systematic theology. Instead, we're going to try to boil down the simple truths of a theological point. But sometimes I think that can help us. You know, even I think sometimes for me that to the doctrine of the Trinity, I, sometimes it seems the longer you go in explaining the doctrine of the Trinity, the more, the closer to heresy you can get. But <laughs> I teach my child from a North Star catechism that uh, are there more gods than one? No, there's only one true God. That uh, God exists forever is how many persons? Three, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And you know, I think that simplicity teaches me to limit where I go to what scripture says. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But fundamentally, I think I, I do want to add real quick that, you know, some of theology is big, but, you know, if we value it, we put it on children as the boots that they grow into. You know, a kid's not going to understand what their chief main purpose is uh, at a, at a, as a two-year-old, but I think if you drill into them from Scripture, from the biblical, basic biblical theology, it's something that will, that will come to define who they are as they begin to understand the world around them. Right. I think that's a really good image of growing into the boots. And I mean, I know I've got a, a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and... Um, I have taught my three-year-old about how God became a man. He's fully God. He's fully man. I didn't say, honey, I'm going to teach you about the hypostatic union. We just say, you know, God became a man, and he's Jesus. And, uh, you know, she was telling us the other day, you know, he died on the cross. And then my wife said, and then what happened? He goes, and now he's undead. <laughs> so it's not quite, you know, but we're working on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could present theology using Latin terms or, you know, terms based off Greek. And we're going to talk today about eschatology, children, and homartiology. But that's not so helpful. But if you say, we're going to talk about what happens at the end, when God fulfills his plans for the world, or we're going to talk about sin and, and rebelling against God, that's something they can understand, even very young. Um, so, I mentioned this earlier, Tony, but how does theology lead to doxology, to praising God? Yeah. 
I think if if you study theology, if you learn theology to better know our God, the one we should love, doxology or worship really is a natural response. Praising God is natural then. You know, just in the same way that if we study something great, we're going to have a response of, of awe, that we respond in awe to the ever more revealed greatness that he is in worship. I think in this, of, uh, of one time I went to the Creation Museum, and not commending what they do at the Creation Museum or condemning it, but I remember they had a gr- big space exhibit, one of those things where they've got the screen on the, on the ceiling, and it kind of shows you outer space. You know, it's not an actual telescope, but it shows you real images of outer space. And, and I remember at one point they showed just how how much larger elements in the galaxy are and the universe are than our Earth, you know. And it showed really the Earth is is like a smudge on a windshield compared to so many of you know, these the other great planets that God has made. And you know, and I think it just left me in awe, in awe of some of these great, uh, great, huge, amazing planets. And, and I think that kind of response is what we have when we study God. I learned about how amazing and huge these planets were and I was just in awe and in so much more we should be in awe and we should worship when we uh, we see and we learn about more and more about how great God is theology for pride though I don't think leads to doxology. You know, the reality is there's the stereotype of the ivory tower theologian, and I think a lot of times it's not really true, but sometimes it is. You know, and I think the person that studies theology to win debates online or to know more than other people do and to brag about that, I don't think that that person is leading to doxology. I think really ultimately they're studying themselves. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's well put about the awe of God. And if God is what Scripture says he is, this, the source of all life and goodness and beauty and love. And so if that's true and you study him, you go, your heart can't help but go, wow, and, and want to trust him and obey him. But like you said, also, there's, there is the danger with any kind of knowledge that it can puff up. But Paul, I mean, Paul wrote that, but I would say Paul is a pretty good theologian. Um you know, there's some questions I want to ask him in heaven. So yeah, but theology does lead to praising him. And, and as we, you know, if we just want to debate superlapsarianism and infralapsarianism, sublapsarianism, or or things about the end times, um, that can just be a point of you know winning winning in a debate, and, and that's not loving God. So that's not what we're talking about—just filling people's head with information. Now, we're clearly preparing you guys for a whole hour-long podcast we're going to have about teaching children superlapsarianism. <laughs> yeah, your three-year-old. So, how much difference does theology make in real life? Yeah, I think it makes a lot of difference. That's a great question, though. Uh, sound theology, according to Scripture, I think, is our basis for obedience and Christian character. I'd said sometimes, uh, to use some kind of technical language, that every imperative in Scripture is based upon an indicative, which, to summarize it, to simplify it, it basically just means every go and do is based upon what's already gone and done for us mm-hmm. in Christ. So, you know, I think we see this, for example, in oh, the book of Romans. The book of Romans is one of the most practical epistle- letters of Paul, especially the last third of it. But really, there's nothing 
nothing that tells us to go and do thus until Paul spends the whole 10 chapters or so talking about the amazing work that God has done for us and who God is, his amazing character, and how that stems forth and how it results in their Christian obedience. I think there has to be an intricate relationship and understanding in that way who we are as the Bible tells us who we are and, and our theology and who God is, which is a basic understanding of theology, shapes shapes us. It shapes us in so many ways, and it shapes even the way that we build our lives. If we think, Westminster Shorter Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, which is theology about the purpose of man. If we think that, that's going to mean that we're going to live for God. We're not going to live for ourselves anymore. You know, I think it even there are ways that theology affects things, even seen in the world. You know, have you heard the song, Born This Way, Ben? Yes, yeah. This is, that's from your favorite artist, right? Exactly, yeah. I'm a huge Lady Gaga fan, obviously. <laughs> you know, that's a theological song. It's a song that uh, really comes from a view that what we want... Uh, from birth is fundamentally good and therefore we should pursue everything our heart desires that's theological and it impacts living so people will listen to that and have this mentality that if I desire something it must be good and embrace things like homosexuality or other sins yeah I mean that's that's a great example talking about living for the glory of God I mean you know we talked about that my young children why did who made you? God made you. Why did he make you? Made you for his glory. And then, well, how do we love God? We love God by obeying him and keeping his command, doing what he commands. And, well, God commands you to obey your parents. And uh, Yes, he did. You know, things like that. Seeing, okay, God, I mean, I had to, we have a school here at our church and, and a preschool, and I was asked to speak in the chapel for the two-year-olds and then the three- and four-year-olds this week. And so I talked about being made in God's image and how when we treat each other, we're treating someone that God made to be like him. And I showed them pictures of my children and how they kind of look like me because they came from me. And then I showed them a mirror. And so I see this mirror. Well, you know, this is, this is not really you. It's just it's a picture of you. And God made us to be like him to show what he's like. And so, you know, I've tried to fold it out on their level. But, you know, when we grasp that, that affects a lot how we treat people and how we talk to them and how we talk about them and, and all those kind of things. I mean, so we could really spend a long, long time talking about this, but our theology, what we believe about who God is, people, all that, it really, really makes a difference in every aspect of our life. Don't kids and adults just need to, to know that God loves them and they should obey him, be kind and share and not drink and swear or chew and run around with girls who do? I mean, is that enough or is there more for them to know? There's definitely much more to them than to know. And I think that this approach, your quote, is kind of a stereotype of really, I think, effectively the approach of children's ministry for many years in regards to theology. Um, but I think that this approach has bred moralistic therapeutic deism, which is a theological word, but a sociological <laughs> word that we talked about before, which is essentially that young people that, that believe essentially that God has no personal relationship to them, but he's just kind of their buddy that pats them 
them on their back, you know, that encourages them, but uh, they don't, and they think that going to heaven is about being good. You know, and I think that there's almost no question that this approach that you mentioned has led to that. And it, I think it really begs the question, those, that uh, statement. For example, you know, to know that God loves them, which is theological. And, and it's a theological question to ask, what is love? And if we don't define that for them, the world around them is going to definitely define them. Uh, why not do this and that? That's a theological question. And, and I think we're not going to help them understand why doing this, this and that. And so we'll just provide, like I've referred to before, nursery rhymes effectively for them. What kids are set entrenched in at a young age, though, becomes their identity. And I think that is just so pivotal, like the boots they grow into again. And if it's just morals, all they're going to be, all they're going to have in their life is they're going to have a list of do's and don'ts, rather than an understanding of who God is. That's going to spring forth into obedience. Theology now, when we teach children theology, when we embrace them with it at a young age, it's going to shape who they are for the rest of their lives in ways that we don't even see for adults. I think. Mm-hmm. But frankly, even with the question, obey God. To obey God is to study him. The Bible mm. commands us to study God. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good point. And not that that means that everyone needs to become, you know, Dr. So-and-so, a professional theologian, but that we look and, and listen carefully at what Scripture says. Yeah, I've had a conversation with someone several times, and his take is sort of that we shouldn't get too deep into theology because people disagree about this or that and it can lead to confusion and you know I'm not an expert so what am I supposed to do with that Um, but just instead focus on a few big things that seem to stand out and and his list is pretty good I mean I would you know tweak it a little bit but you know he majors on things that are major but even in that he's done theology while trying not to yes and he's identified the things he thinks that the Bible emphasizes the most and said, well, let's focus on that. But, you know, God gave us his word as a unity. And so that's why we can do theology. Um, we don't just have, well, this is what Mark says about Jesus and this is what John says about Jesus. And, you know, but the, it's really different. There, there's a, one Holy Spirit behind this bringing it to us. And so, you know, Romans 15.4 says that the Old Testament, essentially, and we could extend it out to the New Testament, that it was written to instruct us, to help us endure, and to give us hope. And so if we skip out on the theology that the Bible itself gives us, then we're missing out for ourselves and for children on resources and and ammo that's meant to instruct us and make us endure and give us hope uh, as we follow Christ to the end. So, Absolutely. So, Tony, how can churches partner with parents to teach their their own kids theology? I think what's fortunate in this is there's a lot of great resources for churches to utilize in that. You know, I think of our church has kind of two things that teach theologies that are able to connect to the home uh, in that we have North Star Points is what we call them, which is the North Star Catechism, what I referred to earlier, which is a way to teach theology in the home, and we kind of review it at church. We assign uh, and we provide uh, these doctrinal points for parents to work on with children, but even uh, if you don't want to use a catechism, 
you know, Gospel Project effectively does the same kind of thing. And the take-home sheets, I, we go through the take-home sheets in the Gospel Project Sunday School curriculum every week, and they always have these big picture questions I th- that I think that's what they call them. And they're theology, they're basic theology, and the church is providing these to us to help us to teach our kids theology as well. This theology, theological truth is being taught to our children at church and Sunday School. And I think that educate the parents too and give them a love of theology. I think have a emphasis on the on the importance of theology from the pulpit. I have an emphasis on that in every aspect of ministry. I think Quelch's mentality with theology is scary or bad or or mean even, but instead it's something something beautiful. Um, and I think even with the kids lessons that giving doctrinal framework in the lessons. Uh, the Capitol Hill Baptist in Washington DC, their kids program is called Praise Factory and really it's designed to just teach kind of core aspects of theology to children in a fun and lively way. And I think that can be a really excellent example. And even I think how we pick songs, songs that we use for our kids at church and the children's programs and the songs that we hope that children, parents will bring home for their kids. Make sure it's theologically robust. Uh, We use a lot of a CD from Sovereign Grace Music called Theology, actually, and it teaches some great important theology to kids in ways that they can understand. Yeah, music teaches quite a bit, um, even when we don't realize we're being taught. I think those are some some great things, and I've read some about the Gospel Project's approach, and there was a very intentional effort from whether it's preschool kids, youth, adults, to teach. uh, I think they identified like 99 different things, like the sinfulness of man, the the need for regeneration, the the trustworthiness of scripture, different things like that where they wanted to pick it. These are doctrines yeah. we want to teach without necessarily using theological language. When, when you start, some people's exposure to theology is like, no, in subpoint 73, paragraph 7, you know, and go on some spiel. And, I mean, yeah, nobody wants to listen to that, but when it's presented as this makes a difference in your life and leads you to love and to trust God and, and help you through difficulties and all of that, it, it just puts it in a whole new light. I think too, just as churches can, it comes from the pulpit, um, there's, you know, good curriculum, which you mentioned. You know, take time to connect the dots for people publicly and also just in your you know personal ministry of the word and conversations helping people see and again a lot of time, I try to teach theology without using the language because when you start throwing around theological words it most people it just turns them off and I mean I, I've seen statistics the average American reads less than one book a year so it's not like the people in most of our churches have a, a bookshelf full of theological books they're hoping to get through this year and so I think you know you just keep that in mind and we can give give meat without you know giving it the, the fancy name uh, you know, if you were to take Al Mohler out of the equation on the average, because every person reflected, I think the average American would half a book, because I think he probably reads <laughs> a b- book for every other person in the country. That's true. He does kind of skew the statistics, so I might want to recount. So how can, we, we talked about churches partnering with parents. How can parents themselves teach their kids theology? I think there's some great helps in this. Uh, first, I mean, I've kind of talked about a lot, and we'll probably talk about another podcast too. 
catechize that use these great resources that have been available, some that are even 500 years old, of ways to just instruct and repeat doctrinal truth. And I think when you're really young kids, I think that's absolutely the best way, you know. The reality is that uh, we were teaching doctrine to, uh, doctrine to our children at two and three, and they don't understand those the doctrines, but we drill it in so that as they come to understand the world around them, they understand it in light of this truth that's been repeated and put forward in their head over and over and over and over again. But there are some other great things. Uh, Bruce Ware has a really excellent book called Big Truths for Young Hearts that talks about how throughout the day you can have theological conversations with your kids. You know, a lot of that book is meant for kind of car ride theological conversations. And and in that, you know, bringing up, as you see something beautiful, talk about God as creator. Talk about different attributes of God as you embrace things in reality. And I think likewise, give theology and family worship. And I think one way that this can be done, for example, is in a family prayer time, that there's an old model of prayer called the Acts model of prayer, which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. The adoration part essentially means it caused telling God some great things about himself. And I think doing that in prayer, even it, together with your family, can be a huge help. That's Yeah, I, that's really helpful, again, because kids learn to pray based on what they hear. And, and, and it's not just kids. I mean, you got someone that becomes a believer at 30. If they're not grown up praying, they just hear what's modeled for them. And, and that's one thing, that praising God, that's lacking in a lot of public prayer that you hear thank God, and that is absolutely appropriate, but just praising God for being powerful and good and loving and merciful and just and all these things, you don't hear that as much, and so I think that's, it's, you know, to instill that in our kids early on. I think it just, you know, and we've talked about this in other episodes, but reading through the Bible systematically or having some sort of plan, because you just encounter things um, that you wouldn't otherwise if you were just picking you know, stories that they liked or that you liked or that kind of thing. I think just, you know, it, this pushes parents to read the Bible themselves and to look for connections and patterns and, you know, and then as you read with your kids, ask them questions about it, especially as they develop cognitively. So, you know, you notice this right here happened. This is kind of like this other thing. You remember that? And helping them see that. You know, and read some theology yourself, or, you know, ask your pastor, is there something that you might recommend? You know, I don't know that I would pull out Thomas Aquinas's Summa Theologica or something like that, <laughs> this massive book, but, you know, just something that will unpack the Bible's teaching on a, a particular area. Just helping, you know, think that way and asking God, say, God, help me to see these things and to pass them on. So th those those were helpful. Um, Tony, how can kids learn to put theology into practice in their own lives? Yeah, that's a great question. Before I answer, I do. You know, I really enjoyed your comment about especially parents exposing themselves to theology. And one little book, if parents are interested in it, so that they can kind of brush up on some basic theology that might help, as I've read recently, is Biblical Theology uh, by Bybee Jameson. It's from a little Nine Mark series. It's probably 80 pages or so. Very short little book from the Nine Mark series of books. And it can be a great help, I think, for you to understand to help your own kids. But as for how kids can learn to put theology into practice in their own lives, I, I think it may, theology 
technology makes such a huge difference in so many ways in our life, you know, especially the gospel message. As we've said, the gospel in that ABCs was A to Z, and that's a theological truth in that. But one thing I think it can hugely help is everyone, especially children, can battle with shame and, you know, battle with the struggle of shame and feeling like the one's worthless. But I think we correct shame through understanding who we can be, who we are in Christ, which is a theological reality. We can have a confidence in a relationship with God through understanding what Christ has done for us. It can motivate obedience, you know, it can, rather than having a obedience from a sense of guilt, which many children have, you know, rather than obeying so that the elf on the shelf sees it, (laughs) understanding (laughs) that we obey because God made us to obey and because we find our greatest joy in obeying the God of this universe as our chief purpose in life. But even, you know, sharing the gospel, and I think kids can be great for sharing the gospel sometimes. Sharing the gospel is theological. You know, if you don't, what you share when you present the gospel is your basic theology of, of man, your basic theology of salvation, your basic theology of God even, of God's character, who he is. And that's going to be deeply affected. If you don't know things, some basic theology, you're not going to be able to accurately present the gospel. And it's going to do danger in how you relate to unbelievers, mm. even for kids. No, that's a, that's a great point. I think those are some really good suggestions on how to bring that kids working through that. I think for kids hearing their mom and their dad, grandparents, whoever's raising them to, to think and talk through these kind of things with them, helping them, to, like I talked about in the church, helping people connect the dots. Well, as parents learn that, helping their children to connect the dots and think, okay, what does God say about this? And Because every issue that we face is not, there's not a, a chapter and verse that we can go to. Sometimes we have to, to look to a theological point of scripture. We, we see that, okay, God is holy, so what does that mean for what I do in my cell phone or my Instagram account or these kind of That's things? That's really good. Jesus doesn't specifically talk about that on the Sermon on the Mount, but, you know, you can look at the, the wider picture. And you were talking about the, the uh, I don't remember the, the term you used, but driving in the car and teaching that kind of thing, but, you know, I've heard some people call it a God sighting. It just, the, the normal circumstances of life and taking advantage of that or or even discipline and I think you know again to encourage and push moms and dads you know we can't lead our kids a place we're not going and so that that we don't need to be able to answer the angel on the pinhead question or become professors but it is letting God's word speak to our lives and letting it shape our thinking and our decisions and our our speech and our feelings and our our money and and all of this because that will speak volumes to our our kids and to those around us I recently heard somebody make comment to some research that revealed that the biggest common element in people who were Christians who were seeing life change was that they were consistently in the Word of God. Uh, And that should come as no surprise. I mean, we shouldn't necessarily need research to tell us that, but it does affirm what Scripture says, that, you know, we we are to be transformed, and that's ultimately through His Word. Well, Tony, this has been a helpful discussion for me personally and hopefully to our listeners. So if this is your 
first time listening, we uh, we're glad to have you, and we would invite you to like, to download, subscribe, share, or anything else you think would be helpful. Pass this along and look for more episodes of the Theological Family Ministry podcast to help you in your family as well as in your church and the family and children's ministry. And thanks for listening, and we hope to have you back.